Well, as I said, we're continuing our study in generosity. This will be our third week. Uh, Pastor Larry started us off the first week uh, with the main point being that uh, the Lord is the originator of generosity, that, that He moved first, uh, that He is the big giver and the, gi- the biggest gift giver of all time in giving us His Son. Uh, and then last week, He talked about freedom, the freedom that comes with generosity and the freedom that we desire to have to be generous. And so we're going to continue our study. This week we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, and in verse 7 it says, The Lord loves, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. I don't think it's just the Lord who loves a cheerful giver. I think we all love a cheerful giver. Uh, If you've ever been on the receiving end of generosity, uh, you too love a cheerful giver. We honor, we respect, uh, we admire people who are willing to share what they have with others and to do it cheerfully, to do it joyfully. And not only do we recognize that in others, but, but we recognize that in our best moments of generosity, that that's when we reflect Christ the most. That that's when we reflect the heart of our Father best, is when we're being generous. And if you're anything like me, you, you see that a, a need, a desire, a want to be more generous Uh, to step out in those areas of generosity more often, to see the Lord bless someone through you. So why don't we do it more often? What, What keeps us from being as generous as we would like to be? And and we have this idea or this ideal of generosity that we would like to achieve. So how do we get there? Well, as we look at our passage uh, this morning, uh, we're going to see a a perspective that Paul gives uh, that will help us in understanding uh, the right perspective on giving, the right perspective on generosity. Uh, But I think it's also helpful for us to acknowledge and just understand uh, one of the big obstacles for us in generosity, in giving. You see, a lot of the time, some of the time, a good deal of the time, giving feels like this. Giving feels like having and then losing. Sometimes giving can feel like I have more and I give and now I have less. All of you moms are familiar with the concept of forced generosity. And even if you don't have children, you've probably been privileged enough to witness what happens in a small child when generosity is forced in a situation. You're at your house, or friends come over and they bring their child, and the, and the big bucket of toys comes out, and the children, including the visiting children, start digging through the pile, and, and out comes the toy that your son or daughter has not played with in months, probably forgot was in the bucket. And, and all of a sudden, as soon as someone else has that, 
It becomes the most prized possession on the planet. And then it gets yanked back into someone's possession at which the appropriate parent steps in and says, "Um, Honey, you need to share that with Billy Bob because he's our guest and you need to be generous. And so you take it from your child and you hand it to Billy Bob. And, And how does the child feel? That was mine. And now it's not mine. I had it. And now I don't have it anymore. He has it. Or she has it. I had more. And now I have less. A lot of times that's what giving can feel like. Uh, And it's not just children and toys either. Uh, It's adults as well. Um, When the giving basket starts coming around at church and you've chosen what you're going to decide to do and you get out your wallet and maybe you write a check and you take a portion of what you have and you put it in the basket. Thank you, sir. I had more and now I have less. I don't have it anymore. He has it or the church has it, or someone has it. One of our obstacles for, to generosity, to doing more giving, is this sense that giving is having and then losing. But as we take a look at this passage this morning, uh, what we're going to discover, uh, what's going to be our bottom line for the day, uh, is that when it comes to giving, there's more to be loosed than lost. When it comes to giving, there's more to be loosed than lost. It's it's this idea of loosing what's in our hands into the hands of God. Loosing what He has given us back to Him for His purposes. Now this word loosing is a word that we don't use very often, Um, not one that you'll hear in conversation very often. You may see it in a typo when someone meant to use the word lose uh, instead of loose. As a matter of fact, Siri has very little affection for the word loosing. She will automatically change it to losing, which is no wonder we feel like loosing is losing. Uh, Siri keeps convincing us that it's so. But what we're going to find out uh, is that it's, it's this idea of loosing and, and that when it comes to giving, there's a lot more to be loosed than lost. Uh, this idea of loosing, when I, when I first began seminary and started in my very first Greek class, you, you may remember this from some of your uh, Spanish classes or French classes or whatever, they take this model verb, right, and you use this one verb in the beginning to start building all the endings off of present tense, past tense, future tense. Well, in Greek, believe it or not, the, the representative word for the language is luo, which is loose, right? To loose something. And I remember looking at that, and I thought to myself, what? How often am I going to use the word loose? And, and it's, it's not how often am I going to use it. The question, of course, when you're studying Greek to read the Bible is how often does the Bible use it? Uh, And as a matter of fact, it's a very commonly used word in the Bible. It means to untie or unbind something, uh, to set something free. 
And so when it comes to generosity, this idea of loosing something is that it's untied from the bonds of my possession, right? That I loose it from the constraints of what I would be able to do with it, what I would use it for. And I loose it into the hands of a God who can do so much more, as we talked about on the men's retreat, uh, abundantly more um, than I could ever ask or imagine. And so loosing is this idea of setting it free, of of releasing it from the bonds, releasing it from the chains of my possession into the possession of God so that he might do uh, greater things with it. Well, the context for our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is uh, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth, to the church, uh, the houses, um, the church houses, house churches, however you want to say that. I'd prefer house churches if I were you, um, of the area to let them know that they've been discussing this collection that was going to be taken in Corinth for the suffering believers in Jerusalem. And he was giving them a heads up that he would be coming there soon to receive this collection and take it to Jerusalem. And, and that's our context, uh, is this idea of the Corinthians were preparing to give, uh, to loose, uh, some of what they had uh, for the relief of believers in Jesus in Jerusalem. And we read in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Paul's been talking about it here for a few paragraphs, and then he gets to this point in verse 6 where he says, uh, this is the point. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously or bountifully will also reap bountifully. What Paul is saying here, well, he's taking this proverb uh, that you reap what you sow. I keep getting those words mixed up in my mind. Uh, You reap what you sow. And he expounds on that. He says, not only do you reap what you sow, you reap what you sow in relationships. Uh, You reap what you sow in the business world. Uh, You reap what you sow in all kinds of areas of your life, but you reap what you sow in terms of generosity as well. And he expands it and says, and if if you sow sparingly, just understand, you're also gonna reap sparingly. Uh, But if you sow generously or bountifully or with generous gifts, you will also reap generously. Paul's saying, look, it's not about having and losing. It's about sowing and reaping. It's not just about giving. It's about sowing. It's about loosing. And it's certainly not about losing anything because you're planting and those who plant expect to receive a harvest. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. I imagine that the Lord pays a high interest rate based on everything else I have read in Scripture. So when you are giving, you're giving to the Lord, and He will repay. Paul goes on in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 with what I would say 
is a critical money mindset for us to understand. A critical mindset uh, in terms of everything that comes into our possession. Uh, we would do well to view it through this paradigm that Paul explains to the Corinthians. In verse 10, he writes, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He starts off with, He who supplies. Obviously, Paul here is referring to God. He is the one who supplies. And he says that he supplies two things. He supplies seed for the sower, or the farmer, and he also provides bread for food. That these are the two things that the Lord provides to those who are his. Seed and bread. Now to us, in our day and age, we would probably translate those two things, seed into money and bread into food, is how we would tend to view those. Uh, we would view them as two separate things. Uh, but for the people in Corinth, who were living in a very agricultural uh, setting and, and uh, society, Seed for sowing and bread for food uh, were intricately connected, intimately tied to one another. I think we have an illustration of their intimate connection uh, to one another. Well, that's, we see them as two separate things. Uh, and then next would be the next slide. Yes. A farmer understands the connection between the seed and the bread. Because he takes the seed from his harvest. And then out of what he has collected, he uses some of that for food. Uh, to bake the bread that you see in that picture. But he also understands that some needed to be kept back from consumption and be used for sowing. Uh, he understood that some of it was for his use. But if he wanted to continue to reap a harvest... He had to do what? Plant. He had to sow. He couldn't just harvest all the grain that was there, consume it all, and wait the next year and expect a crop. Every farmer understands that you only reap what you sow. So he who supplies seed and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You know, when I read those words, increase the harvest, Paul's saying that God has the power when you sow to increase your harvest. And then I remembered what Jesus referred to the Father as in Matthew 9, 38 when he was talking about sending out his disciples into the harvest. He called him the Lord of the harvest. And so the Corinthians understood uh, that the one who was responsible for this year's harvest, that if they sowed more of what he had given, that they could only expect one thing, more harvest uh, in the years to come. And lest we think that the harvest 
and sowing is related only to seed and to bread, uh, it would do us well to look at a passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 where we find David preparing to depart and leave the kingdom to his son Solomon and uh, he's blessing the Lord in the presence of the assembly. And he writes this in First uh, Chronicles 29, verse 11. David says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. For all things come from you and of your own have we received and give back to you. He is not just Lord of the agricultural harvest. Uh, he is Lord over all, including what we reap and what we sow. So Paul's saying it's not about having and losing. It's about having and loosing. You know, I was thinking, I grew up in Nebraska. and uh, We would drive out I grew up in a larger city in Omaha, but we would drive out to where my family lived in, in uh, the agricultural rural areas. And, and of all the times that I saw farmers out planting their seed in the fields, I never once saw a panicked farmer get out of his tractor and freak out because some of his seed was going into the ground. I never saw him debating back and forth about whether he should sow, or whether he should sow this seed into the ground or not. And why does a farmer not panic? Why does a farmer not freak out when he's sowing a portion of what he has? Because he's living in anticipation of the harvest that is to come. But of course, even for a farmer, there's an element of trust in planting. I don't think it's all that much different than it is for us. You're taking some of what you have and you're putting it in the ground. You're taking something that you could have eaten or sold to gain more wealth and you're loosing it. You're, you're releasing control. You're putting it into a, a situation, into a system, if you would, that operates in an invisible realm and does things that you don't completely understand how this is going to work. You have to trust that it's true. You have to trust that if you put this seed in the ground and the rains come, that something will grow and that you will harvest more than what you started with. It requires a letting go You know, part of the speed bump for giving is we can't see what's going to happen. We can't control the outcome. We just have to trust. We like things that are tangible, things that are quantifiable, things that we can measure and steer and direct and, 
and control. And the very idea of loosing means that we're giving up that control and we're trusting it. More than that, we're entrusting ourselves. We're entrusting our future to someone else. And that's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians verse 9 that each one must decide for himself or decide for herself what they will give. He, he asks for them. He, he instructs them to decide because he doesn't want anyone to give reluctantly or out of pressure or compulsion. You see, the Lord doesn't want your money. Paul didn't want the second Corinthians, the, the Corinthians' money. But he also didn't want their money to have them. Generosity is a matter of the heart. First and foremost. Uh, before it's a matter of the checkbook. It's a matter of the heart. And we decide. Are we going to trust this Lord of the harvest? And then we have to step out and see what gets loosed. Paul goes on to, to write about these things that are loosed through generosity, through giving. He writes in 2 Corinthians 9.8, he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having sufficiency in all things, at all times, that you may abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way which through us, get ready for some loosing, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. Your resources are being loosed to meet people's needs, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. And then some more loosing. While they long for you, and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Paul says, yeah, you're loosing something. And what you see is your giving being loosed. 
But there's a whole lot more to be loosed. You're loosing resources to meet real needs of real people. That they'll see the gospel in action. That they'll sense and feel the love of God through you. That you're going to loose thanksgivings to God. That people are going to glorify God. That His kingdom's going to grow. Not because you lost something, but because you loosed it into His control, into His kingdom, for His glory. When it comes to giving, there's a lot more to be loosed than to be lost. You know, how can we be this cheerful giver? It's the seed mindset. But it's also the approach that David takes in 1 Corinthians or 1 Chronicles 29. He writes this. After he's given, he lists <clears throat> All of the talents of gold and silver and iron and bronze that he gave and that others gave. And you know his response to the Lord while he's celebrating the great work that God is doing through all these people in their giving and their generosity? He writes this, But who am I? And, and who are my people? That we should be thus able to offer Willingly. Who are we? That the Lord would invite us to participate. That he would invite us to loose some of what he has put into our lives. To do things that are beyond what we could think or imagine. Because we choose to trust the Lord of the harvest. So what does this look like in our lives? Well, for some of us, giving has just never really been a regular part of our lives. And if you're visiting here today, you know, I apologize that you visited a church on the day that they were talking about giving. But I can tell you that in the seven years that we've been here, this is really uh, the most direct that we've probably gotten uh, on the topic of money and generosity and giving is this series right here on generosity. So we are not a church that's always hammering people about giving. That's not us. But God wants to loose things in your life and loose things in your kingdom or in his kingdom Scratch your kingdom. Um, we focus enough on our kingdom. He was, wants to invite you in to a deeper level of trust, a deeper intimacy with Him as you adopt a mindset that everything that He sows into your life is not for your consumption, uh, that He provides seed for sowing as well as bread for food, and he's inviting you into the work that he's doing in this world. He wants you to see the fruit 
of the harvest that you participate in as well. You know, another thing occurred to me this week. I was riding with a friend that I hadn't seen in a long time and uh, spent a lot of time in the car. And <laughs> He spent a good while talking about some of the uh, decisions that he'd made in the past year, uh, some of the spending decisions that he had made, um, some bad investment decisions that he had made, and, and kind of talking about, man, I wish I could go back, uh, you know, go back one year and just do things differently and see how things would have turned out. And I just realized, you know, we, we miss the money that we spend unwisely. We, we regret the poor decisions that we make about investing. But we never miss money that we have sown into someone else's life that had a real need. Do we? We never find ourselves missing that. So why don't we do it more often? Why don't we do it with more of what we have? And, and the reality, Jesus says, is that that's called storing up your treasure, treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, that that's the safest place for all that the Lord has entrusted to us. And then finally, just thinking about our mindset towards money. You know, if giving feels like losing... If giving always or most often feels like having more and then less, it may be time to evaluate the mindset because when giving feels like losing, it's often because our mindset is one of accumulation. Uh, that our mindset towards money is accumulating more uh, so that we can move to the next level. And giving would threaten our goal of accumulation. And so maybe what we need to do is evaluate whether our mindset is going to be one of having and losing or having and loosing. Whether it's going to be everything is for me or it's time to sow and to reap. And then finally, it's important for us to realize that all these things that are being loosed in this passage, that there's one more thing being loosed. The people who are doing the giving are being loosed. We just finished a study in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and, or 1 Timothy, and at the end of that letter in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes, uh, and you may remember that we talked about godliness with contentment being great gain, uh, and Paul wrote to Timothy to exhort the believers in Ephesus 
to warn them about to warn them against the love of money and the dangers that it presented to them. And he encouraged them, those who are rich in this present age, and believe me, if you're sitting in a church in Scottsdale right now, you fit that category uh, pretty nicely. Um, but he exhorted the rich in this present age to do what? To do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that what? So that you may take hold of that which is truly life. You say, Jesus and then Paul understood that money has this ability to put our mind into chains, to put our hearts, to chain up our hearts against generosity. And God wants to loose us as well as our resources uh, to be free to sow into his kingdom, uh, to sow into others in ways that we will never regret and never miss. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. As Jesus says, uh, your word is truth. We pray that you would take the truths that we have seen in your word today and uh, ironically sow them uh, into our hearts. I pray that your word would reap a harvest, a harvest of truth, a harvest of righteousness uh, in your people, that people not only in Scottsdale but around the world would be impacted by generous hearts, that they would see the gospel lived out. And it be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.